Welcome to the Giles Files, and my name is Nancy Giles. And on this show, you're going to talk to me and my executive producer, Nancy Wyatt. Give it up, Nancy. Hey. <laughs> that didn't go the way I was hoping it would go. We're taking a walk through the Whitney Museum with the Andy Warhol exhibit from A to B and back again. And I'm here with the wonderful Randall Pinkston. When's the last time you were at a museum, Randall? Um, December. Somewhere in Morocco. It was the uh, Yves Saint Laurent Museum. Excuse me. Yes. What was that like? It was awesome. First of all, I did not know that he was born in Algeria. I did not know that he had grown up in Morocco. And all of a sudden, the African motifs that we used to see made sense. My producer Nancy Wyatt and I met Emmy Award-winning Randall Pinkston when we were all working together at CBS News in New York. Randall is what you'd call a real newsman. He does his research, he checks his facts, he double-checks his sources, and he does not report the story until he's convinced it's really a story. Randall brought that spidey sense to his 30-plus years as a correspondent at CBS, where he covered the White House, wars in Iraq and Afghanistan, natural disasters, refugee crises, and everything in between. Yo, show some respect. More importantly, Randall's a wonderful person, and we love him and loved touring the Whitney Museum with him. Our longtime buddy, artist Carol Savopoulos, came along, too, for the fun. So we have something in common other than the fact that we both, why I still work for CBS News and you work for CBS News, mm-hmm. we both worked with Clint Eastwood. Oh my, you saw that, did you? Of course I did. So, do you want to hear the whole story? Well, I'm sitting in the newsroom. I'm working at the time for um, Al Jazeera America. Right. Uh, I look on my uh, laptop uh, and there's a message. And it says, um, if you're interested in being in a movie, we'd like to talk to you. And there's a California area code. And I'm thinking, yeah, I'll just give this a go, right? Because you get a lot of scammy stuff on the, on the web. Call them up, and they said, um, we are doing a movie about the miracle on the Hudson. We know that you covered that for CBS News. I said, yes. And these are her words. Would you be interested in portraying the role of a reporter named Randall Pinkston, quote, unquote. <laughs> so I think she's pulling my leg, right? So I said, well, absolutely. I think I would be very interested in portraying that, that reporter. So she said, okay, well, good. Well, I'll tell you what, we'll send you the sides. And when she said that, I had no clue what the hell she was talking about. Oh, right. right. You didn't the, know that the sides, sides were the script. Like a script oh, yeah, excerpt. Yeah. Which, but I'm playing along. I said, okay, fine. Right. Send me those, <laughs> send sides. Me those sides, please. So she sends the sides, and um, she said, oh, and when you get them, record them, right. and send them to us, and, and we'll screen them and get back to you. And by now, I am in Yazoo County, Mississippi, visiting my mom, and... Uh, I, I got to find a body of water, right? Because the excerpt referred to the plane behind me, right? So I find a little body of water on a country road. There are a lot of country roads in Yezu. Uh, <laughs> I just had to throw that in there. And I love Yezu. That's, that's where I was born. Holla, Yezu. Yeah, hey, y'all. And I hold my Blackberry out. And I do, this, I do my little line. And then I email it to California. About a week later, I'm back in New York now to get a call. We just want to let you know that we received your audition for the role of a reporter named Randall Pinkston. <laughs> and, uh, and the director will have to screen it and we'll get back to you. Now let me ask you quickly, when you did the taping, mm-hmm. when you did your self-tape, mm-hmm. 
and you held that BlackBerry up. Mm -hmm. Did you feel at the time like you were indeed being the best Randall Pinkston that you could? Honey, you know it. Because I really wanted that part. <laughs> so maybe, maybe not even a week later, she calls and she says, the director, she, she didn't say Mr. East. Because at this point, I didn't even know. Oh, man. I didn't know that he was the director, right? She says, the director has seen it and um, you've got the part. I said, oh, well, thank you very much. And we'll be in touch with you to tell you when and where. Okay, now, they tell me when to show up. I have a trailer. I have my name on the on the little star. Isn't that exciting? Ooh, I tell you, really? <laughs> One of the things that I thought was really cool was, instead of saying action when they were about to shoot my scene, mm -hmm. and I played a lawyer of a, con a man who was condemned to die. What, what movie was that? True Crime. It was called. Dennis Leary's in it. And Anyway, when it came to time to shoot my scene, I'm on the phone talking to my client. Instead of saying action, he said, anytime. Yes, yes. He doesn't believe in saying action because he feels like he remembered that when he was an actor, that used to make him tense and nervous. So I thought that was so cool. Well, here we are. We're looking at the Brillo boxes. And I'm always, I remember when I first saw these thinking, I could have done that. <laughs> you know, uh, that's the genius of Warhol, right? He takes everyday stuff and makes it... Art. Yes. But I bet it's worth, I'm taking a guess, billions and billions. Yeah, well, certainly millions and millions, for sure. We found a Brillo box on the street the other day, Nancy and I. We did. I mean, it wasn't a Warhol one. I wish it were. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, he copied what you picked up. Yeah, he did. He took my idea, our idea. <laughs> no, he took Brillo's idea. Here, let's take a look at these. I like this little, this little diagram for dancing. Well, now, this would be perfect for me. You see, uh, contrary to popular belief, all black people do not dance. Randall, no. Uh, it's true. I'm sorry. <laughs> well, slow drag, but, you know, that's about it. And maybe the twist. <laughs> but if this were done by a black artist, I could see how the beats would be on the two and the four, not the one and the three. <laughs> all right? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so you musician, are you? Okay. Yeah. Two, two, three. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. Let's forge ahead. Okay. Here are some of the interview magazine covers, which is something I always, of course, dreamed of being on the cover of. Let's see. Sissy Spacek. She's so cool. Oops, I shouldn't put my fingers on that. Now, interview magazine. Do you remember this? It was newspaper, newsprint. It would come out, I think, every month, and it always had a Warhol cover. It was his. I think he was the editor. Well, obviously a while ago because it's a dollar. <laughs> Whoops! You can't, you can't buy a sheet of paper for a dollar. You can't now. buy anything. I think even the Post is a dollar now. The New York Post. Dollar. Truman Capote. I think that's Jody Foster. Oh, Nancy yeah. Reagan. Yeah. Were you uh, working for CBS when the Reagans were still no, in office? No. Um, I entered the network as a White House correspondent in December of 1990, which was President George Herbert Walker Bush's second year in office, and one month before the start of the first Gulf War. Wow. Yeah. What was it like when you were covering Washington compared to how it is now? Remember that movie, A Different World? <laughs> yeah. You know, uh, you used to go to press briefings every day. Every, every day. How would you handle somebody like Sarah Sanders and the way they're doing things now with basically no press briefings? I would find it rather difficult not to ask her very in-your-face questions every chance I got just because and you know they would be carefully crafted and all of that but Sarah is very can I use the word slippery <laughs> you can use that word and you know she's good at, at she she sounds convincing even though you know what she's saying is not true yeah. but she sounds she's she's a lot better than um 
Sean Spicer. Yeah, the one who was hiding behind the bushes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, what? The other thing you do is, you know, you, you, you work the phones. I mean, that's what everybody does. You know, you get on the phones and you try to call folks who will talk to you and tell you something. Whether they were in the White House now, whether they had been in the White House, and that's that's how I would do it. That's mm-hmm. how you'd have to do it. Mm-hmm. Those daily briefings were the the, the 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 bread and butter of of our coverage, and without those, really, yeah, that's, that's every bulk of your well, be, that's not the information, but gives you like uh, the order of the day, like like what you're going to talk about, mm-hmm. not what they were telling you. But the subject matter that, that you were going to discuss in the evening news that night frequently came out of the daily briefing. And especially if the president hadn't said anything, like if you, you had not gotten an answer from him and a shot of question, or there had not been uh, an Oval Office um, photo op, mm-hmm. or he had not been anywhere. So who are you going to use for sound? It just seems like they're deciding what you're going to report on, not what you as the reporter thinks is important. Okay, well, we're going to talk about this today, and this is what you're going to report back at 6.30. Well, that's, that is what they would like to it to be. doesn't mean we're going to report it the way they're doing it. That's one of the things that's driving me crazy. Like, every time this work stoppage, the federal government being closed because he wants money for this wall, I keep screaming, you said Mexico was going to pay, and I want every reporter to shout back these lies. Now, it doesn't seem like they're doing that. What's really happening in the room, do you think? Okay, you have to be careful about always challenging the president, even if you know he's not telling the truth, because then people won't listen to you as an unbiased journalist. What I mean is, because of President Trump proclaiming the so-called mainstream media as being the enemy of the people. And fake news. And fake news. And because of the way he refers to journalists at his public rallies, look at them back there. This is like one of the tenets of propaganda, right? You tell a lie long enough, even people who are saying will begin to believe it. And unfortunately, I think that that has seeped into a vast stretch of the American news-consuming audience. I wouldn't think that it would be wise for journalists to always be in his face, even when you know he's lying, because then it would make it even more difficult for the people that you really need to reach to hear what you're saying. Because they'll automatically think that's part of the fake news machine? Precisely. Other journalists have a different take, you know, in your face every minute. But I, I, don't, I don't know if that's going to be... Like, how do you talk to someone when they already think that you have taken a side and decide that you've taken this wrong? How, how, how do you get through to them? How, how do you communicate? Dag. That's a question. I know. All right, I'm going to put this on pause. We're going to go look at some more Andy Warhol and clear the air. Yes, yes, yes. And to the Speaker of the House, Nancy Pelosi, I extend to you this gavel. Thank you. Nancy P. The P is because she got the power. 78 years young and stomping down the halls of Congress in those four-inch pumps. You know, Nancy's in a situation where it's not easy for her to talk right now, and I understand that. But we have to have border security. Mr. President, please don't characterize the strength that I bring to this meet as the leader of the House Democrats. Oh, snap! Did you hear that? One of the things that happens there is human traffickers. Where they grab women, put tape over their mouth, come through our border, and sell them. Hold up, hold up. 
That's a scene from the movie Sicario, Day of the Soldado, released in 2018, directed by Stefano Solima and starring Benicio Del Toro. You can't fool me, I'm Nancy G. But I digress. This is not a wall between Mexico and the United States that the president is creating here. It's a wall between reality and his constituents, his supporters. He does not want them to know what he's doing to Medicare and Medicaid and Social Security in his budget proposal. He does not want them to know what he's doing to clean air and clean water and the rest in his Department of Interior and of EPA. He does not want them to know how he is hurting them, so he keeps the subject on the wall. He's a master of diversion. Nancy P. The P is because she got poise. Take it from Alexandra, her daughter. She'll cut your head off and you won't even know you're bleeding. <laughs> That's all you need to know about her. <laughs> I think she is very bad for our country. She wanted to win a political point. I happen to think it's very bad politics because... Oh, really? Come on, let's anchor ourselves into reality. Nancy P. knows what she speaks. After 32 years in Congress, as the only female Speaker of the House, twice! I always think that whatever the President says about us, he's projecting his own unruliness. He's a projector. Nancy P! You're inspiring Nancy G and Nancy W! Don't ever underestimate the power of the Nancys! Bunch of people coming out of the elevator. It's almost scary. No, 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 don't move. Yes, absolutely. Oh, we're in the way of a little group. Okay. We're in this room with all of these kind of criminal-inspired things, and they're a bunch of mugshots. Here's Carol Savopoulos to tell us a little bit about these Warhol mugshots. These are wanted persons, but also coming from Andy Warhol's attractability to the opposite sex. Wanted can be looked at in very different ways. Wanted and wanted. Wanted and wanted. Are these silk screens? Silk screen ink on linen. And I believe they're actual mug shots. Yeah. They totally look like them. Right. Well, you know what? It's funny. As I look at these mug shots, it's kind of reminding me of today's selfies, you know? I read somewhere that you were interested in radio stuff from a young age. Yeah, radio. Not so much news. Okay. I mean, I listened to news, but I wasn't because I wanted to be a reporter. It was because I just liked... So I'm I'm growing up in Mississippi. We're listening to uh, the news on the hour and the morning news. And we didn't have a TV, so it's all... So radio radio was was the way. Yeah, yeah. There was a show on NBC radio called Monitor. And what I remember most about that, in addition to all of the wonderful stories he told about all of the places around the world... There was this lady, the weather lady, and she would read temperatures in various geographic locations. And so I'm, I don't know, 8, 9, 10, listening to this weather lady, and she would say stuff like, Jakarta, rain, 55. Berlin, snow, 32. I'm 9 and 10 years old. I don't know anything about the birds and the bees or anything, but this voice just kind of like spoke to me, right? <laughs> <laughs> Who is this, you know? <laughs> and where are these places? This piece in front of us, this is very important. It shows the, uh, the police. Dog. Oh, yeah, yeah, the dog. I don't think I've ever seen that before. Yeah. Wait, we're going to go closer. A car accident, the electric chair, and some civil rights action. Ooh. What was that, Randall? 
I was saying the, the, these images of the civil rights protests with the dogs. This was in Birmingham, but it could have been in any number of southern cities when, when some very brave people decided to put their bodies at risk, their lives at risk, to make things better for us all. What do you remember about those times? You were, in, were you in Mississippi? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah growing I up. I grew, I grew up in Jackson. What I remember is that my mom told me, <laughs> um, well, let me just preface this by saying, people, black people, who were barely making it financially, were, for the most part, very skittish, very nervous about doing anything that could get them fired. Right. So the vast majority of black people were not participants in the movement, certainly not in the confrontational pieces of it. A lot of churches told their ministers, you cannot have rallies here because we don't want our church marked for possible bombing. Oh, my gosh. So the churches that, are, that, that decided to allow civil rights rallies to take place did it knowing that they were marked. They're putting themselves and their congregation at risk. You know, they did it anyway. I mean, the people who confronted these dogs, these cops with the, with the clubs, um, they did it knowing. And they were also told you can't strike back. Can you imagine? That's the preface of saying that my mom told me, boy, don't you go down and get in them demonstrations because you get your head bashed in and we can't get you out of jail. Oh, she was telling you what, what like that's, a T-I-S, tis. That's, that was most people's understanding. We didn't know that there were folks who, who were paying, you know, who were raising money to bail folks out. I see myself as a potential reconciler on the American scene. Time will tell whether or not this will be so. That was Shirley Chisholm, the no-nonsense Brooklyn-born educator, activist, author, and groundbreaking politician. She made history in 1968 as the first black woman elected to the United States Congress, and again in 1972 as the first black woman to run for the Democratic Party nomination as President of the United States. I stand before you today as a candidate for the Democratic nomination for the presidency of the United States of America. I am not the candidate of black America, although I am black and proud. I am not the candidate of the women's movement of this country, although I am a woman, and I'm equally proud of that. Although Shirley Chisholm didn't get the nomination for president, she was a force to be reckoned with. She remained in Congress for 10 more years and continued her work as a tireless advocate for her Brooklyn constituents. You don't make progress by standing on the sidelines, whimpering and complaining, Chisholm once said. You make progress by implementing ideas. And the idea that a woman and a woman of color could be president of the United States has clearly inspired a generation of female activists and politicians. I am the candidate of the people of America. Check us out on Instagram. You'll see some of the new women of Congress posing under this painting of Shirley Chisholm. Everybody's trying to look cool with their hands on their hips. Among Shirley Chisholm's honors, the Presidential Medal of Freedom, a forever stamp, which I have. I'll show you a picture of that on Instagram too. She's gonna get a monument in Prospect Park, Brooklyn, the first woman so honored. 
And coming soon, Viola Davis will produce and star in The Fighting Shirley Chisholm, a new movie for Amazon Studios. You want to know more? Read her biography, Unbought and Unbossed, and check her out on Google and YouTube. Shirley Chisholm was an American shero. We're having a little after snack at the Whitney Museum, this beautiful cafe. I was going to have iced coffee, but now... Nancy, what did you order again? Um, the screen test, which has vodka and Aperol and sparkling wine. I copied you because it has the magic ingredient that we love so much. Aperol! Aperol! Okay, we got a couple of either ors for you to answer, okay? Mm-hmm. You ready? Mm-hmm. Cardi B or Kamala Harris? Kamala Harris. Why? Yes. Cardi B is an entertainer, Kamala Harris is serious business. Damn. James Brown? Or Charlie Pride? That's a hard one. Yeah. Why? <laughs> because Charlie Pride, first of all, you know, he was the first well-known African-American country music singer, and there's an indirect connection to my family. I think he married somebody on my dad's side of the family from North Mississippi. James Brown, though, is the genius. I mean, with the beat, with the lyrics, with just... It's, it's, that's a hard one. The Mooch? Or Giuliani? I'm going to go Giuliani. Why is that? Because pound for pound in terms of influence, good or bad, and mostly bad these days, Giuliani outranks the mooches all day and half tonight. Okay. Sarah Huckabee or Ann Coulter? That's rough. That's rough. He said Jesus. Take a breath. I have to say Ann Coulter. Why is that? Sarah Huckabee is the press secretary for the President of the United States of America. But as far as I know, she has not been responsible for the President of the United States of America reversing his political position 180 degrees just because she didn't like it. And Coulter, on the other hand, killed the deal that Mitch McConnell and the Republicans and Democrats made to keep the government open back in December. And Coulter got on her high five-inch heels. She, and, and, and let's give Rush, you know, discredit where discredit is due, and uh, Sean, discredit where discredit is due, you know, the, the three horse, horse people of the apocalypse, <laughs> political apocalypse. Oh, my God. Yes. All right, final question. Mm. Pecan pie or peach cobbler? Oh, okay. Um, I'm going to go with peach cobbler just because it sounds healthier. <laughs> and also because... I wouldn't feel as guilty about adding ice cream to it as I would to pecan pie. Now, both of them are heavy duty in calories, but I think if you add ice cream to peach cobbler, it's a little bit less damaging. (laughs) It's true, I think if you add ice cream to either of those pies, the calorie count goes down. Uh, Yeah, 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 but but goes down more with peach cobbler. (laughs) Then that's our story, we're gonna stick to it. (laughs) (laughs) And that was Randall Pinkston. Well, that's our show. Thanks to our guest, veteran CBS News correspondent and our dear buddy, Randall Pinkston. The Giles Files was created by Nancy Giles and Nancy Wyatt. Produced, directed, and edited by Nancy Wyatt. Recorded at our studios in Weehawken, New Jersey, and on location at the Whitney Museum in New York City. 
Special thanks to our friend Carol Savopoulos. Check out her paintings and photos from our Warhol tour on Instagram at the Giles Files Pics. That's P-I-X. Follow us, like us, and drop a comment. We love hearing from you. We'll be back soon with another edition of the Giles Files, okay? Oops. <laughs>